are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. That's great. Is that okay? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> you look like hope so today. She has oh, because she always wears her plaid. Her plaid. plaid I like your glasses. I love oh, those. thank you. And Actually, you they're really ones. old. Oh, really? I just don't wear they're glasses because cool. I hate wearing a mask with my I glasses. It's I can't horrible. do it. So I have stopped wearing glasses completely during this pandemic. But today, this is so cute. I forgot you were you a clipper. So... I am a clipper. What you do? Were you a cheerleader? No. Oh. (laughs) No. I was a band geek. I was in the band. Oh, what'd you play? Uh, I started out as clarinet, and then I did bassoon, and then I did marching band. I did like a B flat horn. It's like a marching horn. Okay. And then I did piano in the jazz band. That is so cool. Lots of band. Piano in the jazz band. You look so nice today. Look how dressed up you are. Oh, I'm no. I'm usually like in hoodies and. My hair was nice a minute ago. <laughs> Didn't last that long. You're headed somewhere. She's working. We have a press conference tonight. Well, well, well. What cheater number are you wearing right now? I have no idea. <laughs> Can't see. Where are you in the birth order? I'm the third. Third of four. Brian's the baby, but he's so tall. I think people think he's older than me because he's so tall. He's younger. Middle child. Did you have middle child syndrome? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know if it's different if there's technically two middle children. Is that different? Uh, when there's four kids. Yeah, there's when there's two four instead of three. I was second of four, but there was a big gap between oh, us. Gotcha. So it was kind of like it was the girls and the kids. Yeah. So I'm more like a second born competitive. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, I think so. Sure. Are there, tell me now before I start asking questions. Okay. Are there off limits things? We're like, I'll just not ask. I can't think of anything. Okay. I didn't yeah. know, like, are you comfortable talking about your dad? I figured it was going to come up. Yeah. I planned on talking about him. It's totally fine. You've okay. got tissues there. So if I yeah. need them, they're there. No, cool. Just want to make you feel yeah. comfortable. No, and not no. Like, I, um... I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, are you good with talking about your talk. jail time? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's all open book. That too. I knew everything. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bet. It's Kat. And we are here with the lovely, beautiful Emily Estock. Do you have Woo. a nickname? Nope, just Emily. Always Emily? I don't know. When I was little, they called me, uh, I had a cousin that called me Emmy. My nieces and nephews call me Aunt Emmy. But Aww. no adults call me Emmy. Okay. Just Emily. Aunt Emmy. Mm-hmm. Just for the little people. Yes, just for the little ones. <laughs> Emily. <Don't> try it. <laughs> We have all sorts of names on here. Emily was raised in Columbiana. She's a Columbiana Clipper, and she was a band. She says a band geek. <laughs> I, I did say not geek. say that. I, I was... shouldn't say geek. 
It's a very good thing to all you band. She folks. was in band, marching band, all sorts of jazz band, all sorts of things. And we are blessed that she had that experience because we get the fruit of that. I know you may see Emily up front leading worship some Sundays, but it's not just singing where she's gifted. She plays some fabulous instruments. She wouldn't say it or you might not see it, but <laughs> yeah, you probably never see it. Instrumentally. <laughs> She knows her instrument. Oh, I play accordion too. I <gasps> oh, oh my gosh. we should have yeah. accordion worship <laughs> one of these days. Really? Yeah. <laughs> On St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, there you go. I'll line that up. After high school, she took a year off after graduating, and then she went to Youngstown State University, where she majored in dental hygiene. That gives me stress thinking about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is it common for people to be stressed about going oh, absolutely. to get their teeth cleaned? No, I always joke nobody's whistling in on their way and <laughs> skipping in their way to the dentist, but I try to ease their uh, concerns and anxiety. So, Jaden had to go and she's like, I'm just going to go get shamed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, you oh, you feel that way too? Anyone bite you? I've only been bit once. Many years ago, I worked in pediatric dentistry the first three years and... Um, I was trying to take x-rays on a kid. And, you know, most adults, when you're taking x-rays and you say, okay, bite down, they bite gently. This child did not bite gently. It hurt so bad I had to leave the room because I was worried about swearing in front of this child. My eyes were watering and uh, left a giant blister on my finger, but it didn't puncture the glove. So that's good. So I didn't get any germies in oh there. Oh, my so that's good. gosh. Nope. Yeah. Just once. That's good. Yeah. She met her husband, Michael, Michael. who Michael has, Michael has been on our podcast. He has squirrel friends, if you got to watch that episode. <laughs> they met just before they both went away to attend college, and they dated long distance for several years. How was that? That was tough. We literally did not even live in the same time zone until the day we got married. So it was stressful. Yeah. But it was good. It all worked out. They got married. They've been married for almost 15 years, and she moved down to Nashville, Tennessee, where Michael was already living and pursuing his music producing career. He tells us about that story on his podcast. In 2016, their life plans changed when Emily's father passed away unexpectedly. Soon they realized that their son Emerson needed to be raised closer to family. So in 2017, they sold their home in Nashville and moved back to Ohio. They eventually bought a home in Canfield that suited their needs to building a recording studio. Emily attended the Upper Room Fellowship a few times with high school friends. So when they moved back, she decided to start bringing her family here. They both got involved with the worship team. Emily is one of our worship team leaders. Her and Kate, I'm with our our leaders today. You guys going to sing for me? Emily is. (laughs) I wasn't planning on that. Oh, we didn't tell you? Where's my accordion? On top of being a dental hygienist and a mom to Emerson, who is seven and a half, almost eight. Getting oh, old. Eight, yeah. Eight's like old when you yeah. have little kids. She's also a realtor, and she's the manager for Michael's recording studio, Court Street Recording. She also volunteers at the Upper Room. So we're so mm-hmm. excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for having yes. me, ladies. Thanks for coming. You got a lot of hats you're wearing. I do. I wear a lot of hats, maybe too many hats. But I, I function, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. My, uh, I, I live by my Google Calendar. As long as it's in there, I'll be there. So. Oh, mm. that's how I am. Yeah. I tell people if I'm talking to you and I say 
yes, I can do something mm-hmm. and I'm not looking at my phone, you should be very suspicious. Yes. <laughs> it may not happen, right? It will not be there. I used yeah. to have like this steel trap mind and I could remember everything. And now oh, you, yeah, I'll no, be like. It gets worse oh. as we get older. I just don't remember unless it's written down. So Emily, tell us who or what turned your light on. So I was trying to think about this, and I am very fortunate. I I actually grew up in a very Christian household. So we always grew up going to church. Every single Sunday, we were in church. My parents were very involved in church. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually grew up in the Catholic church. We attended St. Jude here in Columbiana. So I always grew up believing in God. And uh, But it wasn't until I was about, I would say, ninth grade, the youth ministry, which my mom led, took us to, it was a Catholic sponsored event, but it was a very charismatic event. So mm. we went, I can't even remember, I think it was Steubenville or something. And it was just this very charismatic event. They had a ton of praise and worship artists, Christian artists, and it's just thousands of youth. And uh, it was an outdoor event. And um, it was a whole weekend. And we we went away. And it was just a really neat experience. And that was really when I felt the presence of God in my life officially just felt that, you know, letting him into my heart was very emotional, a lot of tears, me and uh, several of my friends. And I really kind of consider that that moment that I accepted God into my life. But like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have raised in, in a Christian household. You know, my parents, like I said, were very, very involved in the church. But uh, I know some people have these awesome transformation stories. I don't know if mine's anything too unique or but I guess say, it's my story. So yeah. would you say you're you noticed a change in your life from that point on when you were in high school? Yeah, like, I would I would say for sure um, that I did. You know, like I said, always growing up in a Christian household. But I think the person who has shaped me the most into who I am today, whether it's my relationship with Christ, my work ethic, just the way that I interact with people, the passions that I have in life, without a doubt, it's my dad. I feel like I'm his mini me, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just so much like him. I remember at his calling hours, the line went on for hours and hours and hours. I, I think I remember standing there for about four hours and the line just kept going and going and going. And I I don't know if it's true, but I heard rumors that they actually had to shut the doors because they couldn't just keep accommodating more people. The line was just so long. And I can't tell you how many people came through who I've never met that would say to me, you don't realize what your dad did for me. Like my dad was not flashy. He did not gloat about anything he did for somebody. He was such a true servant of God. They told me physically how he helped them with, you know, he was a chiropractor. You know, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up straight. He would pray for his patients in the treatment room. I never knew about that. I heard many stories about that. They said, you know, your dad used to actually sit there and pray with me. He was such a counselor just in life in general. You know, he always had the best advice. But everything he did, you didn't you didn't really know about it. But you just see this legacy that it left, mm-hmm. this imprint that he left on people. And it just was like... That's what I want. I want to touch people in ways that maybe we don't even really know what that is, but it leaves a lasting imprint on them. And so I would say that that's probably he was the biggest supporter in my life. He was shaped me into basically who I am today. And those moments in life where you, like you're saying at the calling hours, the lines four hours long, you know, it's not till moments like that sometimes that you really know the true effect yes, absolutely. that a person has yeah. or truly who they are and what they've done with right. themselves. 
And so I think that's really beautiful. The idea that doesn't have to be seen, doesn't have to be remarkable, because afterwards <laughs> you do realize yes. how extraordinary yes. it was. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that was a great lesson to learn about him. And I and I knew he was a wonderful person, but I I never knew all these things he did for people. I mean, it was physically, financially, spiritually, with prayer and support. And I'm just like, holy smokes. Mm. So we we can we can change the world in our own little ways, you know. Yes. We always talk about transforming communities and transforming things, but one person at a time. So. Right. We have these ideals that everything has to be big and big. grand and <laughs> but it, and and those are wonderful. Right. Not to not to say anything bad about that, but it but it doesn't have to be. We can make a big difference without that. I would say that. I would say he definitely really my hero. That's really the best way I can put it. I love your shoes. P.S. So Michael is trying to get me into running. He is very into it. He's training for a half marathon. Is he? And Michael. I say to him repeatedly, when will I enjoy this? When will I like this? And he gets very offended. But I'm trying. I would ask I'm the getting, same question. I'm getting better. Okay. And I'm realizing why it's enjoyable. I'm still not quite. You are. <laughs> not quite to his level. But he said, I'm going to buy you a very good pair of running shoes. He goes, this is what I'm going to do. So these are the shoes he bought for me. And I love them. So I'll probably go for a run later just so I can use them. Do you feel like running helps your stress? I think so. Like, <laughs> I still have a ways to go and really enjoying it. But uh, no, it, it it does. It totally does. I love to like just run outside. I'm not a treadmill runner. That's just terrible to me. I have to be outside. So it's beautiful. Yeah. It's you're just you're by yourself. It's quiet. Things race through my mind. But it's also like a good time. Sometimes I pray or talk to God. Like it's just it's a good moment for me to just de-stress a little bit. So are you going to run the race with him? Oh gosh, I don't, I, I don't think I'm that good yet. <laughs> My limit's about three, three and a half miles, so thirteen is a little rough. So <laughs> thirteen is ten more. But miles. someday, maybe I'll get there. I'm like a five k kind of lady, I think, at this point. So those are fun. Yeah, yeah, five k. No are shame. Fun. Yeah, and there are no, there's no shame in the five yeah. k's. Yeah, no shame in five. Especially the color runs. Go do yeah. that first. <laughs> get some stuff thrown but thank on you. Thank you for and... saying you like my shoes. So Michael did not grow up Catholic. No, he did. did we he? both grew up Catholic. Yes, both grew up Catholic. But we had very different experiences. <laughs> if you listen to his podcast, he went to Mooney. He went to Mooney. I forgot. He he had a much different experience than I had. He actually went to Catholic school. Right. Like I went to public school. He went to Catholic school. Okay. So he had a much different experience than I did. But also, my parents. I was very exposed to not just the Catholic teaching. My parents were very involved in church, and I'll never forget this to give my mom some credit here, because I know, you know, as a kid, I rolled my eyes a lot, but she always said, how can you expect to get anything out of church if you don't put anything into it? Uh. And that always struck me, because I'm like, oh, man, I think she's right. You know, <laughs> like, how do you expect to get anything out? And it doesn't even have to be church, anything in general. How do you expect to get anything out of it if you don't put anything into it? Yeah, it always struck me. And so I was always very involved. Like, I was in the choir at church. I was youth ministry, did all this. And so I, I definitely got a lot more out of it. Michael, it was a totally different experience for him. <laughs> so, you know, and that's okay. That, that's that's fine. Um, yes. Yeah, but no, he actually, he he did grow up Catholic. Yes, we were actually married in the Catholic Church. Not what we practice now, but that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did you decide in Nashville when you were married to move into 
more charismatic. Yes. So um, I actually attended Upper Room a few times in high school. I have a lot of friends that came here. And he, when he moved to Florida to go to school, he started going to a non-denominational church. And actually, the, um, the friend who he credits with being saved, Jeff, was part of a like non-denominational church. So we had both been in that environment. And yeah, I mean, especially like being music-oriented people, um, we just definitely related a little bit more to that than the, you know, the Catholic music. No, I'm not dogging on it. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. we, we definitely, it, we felt a little bit more pulled in that direction. And um, so when we lived in Nashville, uh, we found a church that we became involved in. And to this day, our best friends from Nashville who basically was our family there because we had no family there. Our people, Tiffany, Tiffany, who came and sang, if everybody knows Tiffany and Lee, that's where I met Tiffany was at that church. And a lot of the people we still talk to today, 15 years later, Hmm. are pretty much everybody that we met at that church. So we started going there. We became very involved. We were worship leaders there, you know, voluntary worship leaders. And we did that for for very many, many, many years. And then not that I expected to talk about this, but I think Kate, you know, and I have had some discussions that there were just a lot of things that started upsetting us about the church. We actually stopped going to church for four years. Four years we did not go to church because we just didn't feel like it was the place it had used to be. And so when we moved back, actually, when we moved back here, that was the end of that four year time frame. And so it was a little scary to get back in. We were just like, dude, this is, you know, is, do we feel right? And that's the best thing I can say about Upper Room is it's so authentic here. It's just very authentic people. You know, obviously we love Chris and his teachings. And so here we are almost four years later. So I think that speaks a lot to you guys, though. And I do want to say thank you for that because I feel like in so many instances, there are a lot of opportunities to get burnt by the oh, church. Oh, yes. It's a very common theme. <laughs> so many of my friends stopped going and a lot of them haven't gone back. Right. And it breaks my heart. It it really does. It, it it hurts my heart. So I'm very fortunate that we found this church because I, you know, having grown up in the church, I wanted that for Emerson. You know, I wanted him to be around like-minded people, like-minded kids, be friends with kids that, you know, families that had similar, you know, ideals and things like that. So... It's good for him. It is, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it speaks a lot of you and Michael to step back into a building when it's hurt before and it's been painful before and you've had these experiences that have not been positive. And so to give something a chance after you've been hurt and to try to believe again, we were just talking about this with Josh Osborne, to hope again is very difficult and you have done that. So beautifully. I mean, even to the point where you've not just stepped back in, but you're becoming involved again. Right. Getting involved. And I always say this, like we try to, I want people to not, so telling the story about the other church, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. But the problem with where we were going is everybody moves to Nashville for music. Everybody thinks that they're going to get discovered. So they use churches to go and get discovered and they don't plug in. They show up when they play. It's very much a show. Everything is thought out from everything that they say, everything that they do, everything is timed. You know, everybody has in-ear monitors where they can talk to each other and it's like, okay, well, don't take too long here. Well, don't talk here. There's no room for the spirit. 
there's no room for the spirit. It's like you have to stick to a, a plan. It's a very much a production. And that was hard on us. We just felt like there's no room for the spirit. And what really put the nail in the coffin was our best friend was in charge of the worship team. And it, we're talking a big church here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking thousands of people, four services a weekend. You had to try out for the worship team, which is fine. I get it. They want people who are capable. But I remember, and she actually left because of this. She said they were doing an audition. They had this guy that auditioned, and I don't know who said it, but somebody said, wow, he sounds great, but he doesn't look the part. And I said, I'm done. I just try so hard to be authentic in worship. I don't want it to ever seem like a show, like anything's been choreograph, that there's mm-hmm. no movement for the spirit. And so that was a really big hard thing for us to do coming back is like, okay, but we felt led. You know, I feel led to do it and I love doing it and I enjoy doing it. And I feel very safe here that I can do that. And if I do something stupid or say, you know, don't know what to say, or I don't joke about this, I I can sing in front of 5,000 people, but don't make me speak in front of 10, you know? So it's a totally, you know, it it stretches me a little bit. But I love this church because I'm like, oh, well, I'm human. They know that, you know, nobody, (laughs) nobody shuns me. So it's good. Right. And the idea that the church has become in some places something for show Yes. It matters exactly how you look and how you're portrayed. Yeah. And so the opposite of it's not what the it should gospel. Be. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So. And it's so common and it's it's hard. But I I, I see why people do it. Even mm-hmm. as strong as we are in our faith, we stepped away for four years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time to not mm-hmm. go to church when you've been going your entire life every Sunday. Right. You know? Did you did you stay connected with the word and listening to podcasts or was it no. just like no walk away from it it just walked away from it i know it's terrible right but it we were so burnt out and so just upset you know well i'm really you glad know? you guys yeah. came back i know last last time you led worship i had a close for you and i could barely talk <laughs> yeah that was a, that was a powerful sunday that was a good sunday mm-hmm. yeah i mean they're all good sundays but yeah i remember that I think it also speaks to, I mean, the idea that it took you four years to be able to come back into a church, that sometimes the process can be long. And so for people who are walking with other people, you know, listening to the podcast, right? If you're walking with someone who is burnt yes, or in yeah. the process and you've been walking with them and praying for them, process can take a while. Sometimes people get in the way. I was, I was reading... <laughs> I was in the rabbit hole of the abyss of social media, <laughs> reading about people, you know, blasting pastors or telling yeah. people how terrible somebody is. And when you put your faith in humans, you're going to get disappointed. Oh, absolutely. You really are. Yes. Not that character doesn't count because right. it does. I just kept reading these comments and I'm like, it was sad. And we just need to point people to Jesus. We do. We do. Yeah, no no church is perfect because we're humans. No, but nobody's perfect. But I feel like authenticity is so important. People realizing, hey, we're not perfect, but we're still loved. And having that sense of community, it's so important for people, just community in general. That's what breaks my heart is when people detach. You don't have that community of believers around you to support you, to be there in your times of need. And upper room, it's so funny. When my dad died, the upper room did so much for my mom. Like my mom is not even a member here. And she goes, the upper room did more for me than 
anybody else. She was extremely touched by that. Very touched. So tell us, what yeah. lights you up? Oh, man. You and your many hats. I of- know. That's the thing. So many things. Well, and nothing that I do relates at all to the other things. Like dental hygiene and real estate are so complete opposites. <laughs> and then those are both not like complete <laughs> opposites from a recording studio and being a mom. But it's funny because I have like several passions and I feel like passions are just like helping people. So it's in everything that I do. So like with dental hygiene, I've been a hygienist for 15 years. I still love connecting with my patients. I have relationships with patients that I've been seeing for years, and I'm always encouraging them. I try to never shame because I know people don't like to be shamed. I always t- I always tell people part of my job is encouragement and motivation. I say that to everybody. <laughs> I say, so, you know, how's your flossing? Part of my job is encouragement and motivation because everybody says that my flossing is crap, right? But I love, like, getting a patient. Their hygiene is their oral health. It's just not in the best shape. And then like I educate them and I see them every six months, sometimes three or four months. And then they like get excited. They come back and I'm like, wow, your gums look a lot better. They feel so good about themselves when they hear positive reinforcement. And so for over the years, I've had patients go from literally loose teeth because of their periodontal disease. And they come in and their teeth look amazing. Their gums look amazing because I've taken the time to educate them and treat them well. And then they get excited. And I, I love that. 15 years later, like I still honestly enjoy what I do. And then in real, yeah, it's not for everybody. Trust me. Everybody's like, how can you clean teeth for a living? I said, you know, we're all called to do different things. Yes. <laughs> um, but that goes to kind of back to my dad is growing up. I always knew I wanted to be in the healthcare field in some way, shape or form because he was such a caring person with his patients and helping them feel better. He's really the reason I even got into healthcare. So it goes back. Literally every aspect of my life was shaped by my dad. But physically, I just can't do it a lot. I have a bad neck and shoulder from just being sitting like that all day. And then I went into real estate. And so with real estate, I love, there's nothing better than calling somebody and say, hey, you got the house. You know, like I closed on a deal yesterday and I was like, I called her and said, congratulations, it's your house. And you hand them the keys and they they love it. They're so excited and so happy. And another thing about my dad that I'm like finance geeks, I love to read like finance articles. And so I love to teach people about when they buy a home. Okay, this is, the interest rates are low. You know, this is what you can get for a house now. And then this is what you can sell your house for. And then like, hey, you want to do a kitchen remodel? Why don't you do a cash out refi? And like interest rates are 3%. I just love teaching people the process of that. So I enjoy getting to do that, helping people get a good deal, find a house, sell a house. And then with the studio, just that creative, that's where I can, because I'm kind of creative, but the other two really aren't creative at all. Mm -hmm. So this is like where I can be creative. And I don't nearly do as much as Michael, like he's the brains behind the operation. But I get to sing background vocals. I get to do things. Sometimes I get input. You know, I can give input on things. So it's cool. Like I said, none of them match each other at all. But I get to be around people and help and educate them and see them improve their lives in many different ways, shapes, and forms, I guess. Are you a two? 
I'm actually a nine. I'm very much a peacemaker. Yes. It is. I, I like to see the good in everything. But I'm very much a peacemaker. Again, like my dad. Got to see the silver lining and everything. I see. Uh-huh. try to be the good. Everybody comes to me with their, you know what I mean? Like I'm one of four kids. I'm like the peacemaker. You know, Michael's a six. So that's a lot different. <laughs> so he's Mr. Like, you better go get gas today. You know, <laughs> like he's Mr. <laughs> planning for the apocalypse. And I'm, I'm like, eh, it'll be fine. I'm not worried. So we kind of run. Yeah. (laughs) Just go for a run. So yeah, I I very much I like to be at peace in my life. Like I don't like, I don't like the drama. I don't like ripples and ruffles. I mean, I deal with it. But because you know, they happen. No, I'm very much a peacemaker kind of lady. And my assumption would be that you're a wing one because you... Dare. Ones like to do everything right. They I'm like an overachiever. They... I'm an overachiever. 150%. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't do anything half. I got to... Yeah, they're perfectionists. Force, Refiners, perfectionists. Perfectionist. You know, I ran an Airbnb for a while and How I can I make be, this better? Oh, gosh. I was like, I got to be a super host. <laughs> and like everything, I went and got, you know, White House donuts for every single person that checked in. And I was. I was a super host. People loved it. I had great reviews. I'm like, I have to have the best reviews. I can't have a bad review. I mean, that's just. It's the blueberry donuts from White House. Yeah. I love it. So I was at White House like three days a week getting donuts. I'm like, I got to put donuts in there. So I get good reviews and everybody loved them. Who doesn't? So. <laughs> That's very you then. So yes. Nine okay, so I'm a one. nine wing one. Yes, that is me to a T. <laughs> is Laura a nine? I think that's what she said. It is fascinating how... For those of <laughs> you who freaky. never know what we're talking about yeah. when we talk about this. Yeah, we can stop talking. It's, perso- it's know, a personality. Crazy. Yeah. It's a personality profile. It's wild, though. Helps you learn about mm-hmm. yourself and be the most healthiest version of you. Yeah. And I like the simple things in life. That like That lights me up, too spending time with my family. I know everybody Mm -hmm. says it, but who doesn't love spending time with her family, right? And drinking a good cup of coffee and sitting outside watching the squirrels. Are you there too? Charcoal was here this morning. (laughs) Yes, charcoal was at our patio this morning. Michael was feeding charcoal, sitting out there, feeding them nuts. Yes, it's like a park at my house because they all know there's nuts. There's just squirrels everywhere. So we enjoy it. We've named at least four or five of them, but charcoal is definitely the, the favorite. I love Monica this. wants yeah. a sharpshooter to come to her house with the squirrels. <laughs> I know. Like our neighbor, can come to no, me. our neighbor behind us, I think he doesn't like us because we love the wildlife. I mean, I love him. He's sweet. But he cuts his grass all the time. He kills all the groundhogs. Like, And I think he gets mad at us because we just let him run around. We're like, we love it. <laughs> like, you know? Come to me. I know. It's probably secretly. Yeah. I feel like I need to find, purchase, or make Michael some sort of Squirrel feeder? hat. Oh. <laughs> Just something to express his love for squirrels. I don't know, like a hat or a shirt. I know. We always joke he's going to be like Bob Ross, where the pet squirrel, you know how like Bob it's right Ross on his was shoulder. Like, he had just, yeah, just, he's trying to train charcoal to right be around his, in be his, his pocket. Pet. He's very in tune with nature, apparently. Like, you yeah. guys are so peaceful. That's how peaceful you are. We try. Not every day, but I strive for it. That's the nine in me. I strive for peace. So tell us, how are you letting your light shine in your life right now with all your many <gasps> I hats? I know, with all my many hats. You kind of alluded to it earlier, yeah. just about helping people yeah. in I all mean, the it's different just, realms that you're yeah, working. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's literally part of my everyday. I'm so busy all day. I'm constantly running around, meeting people, talking with people. Yeah, and, and then with worship leading. I mean, it's just kind of just kind of everywhere. I mean, people, they're just part of my life all day, every day, you know, with my patients at work, real estate, you know, you're always on the phone, you're talking with people, meeting with people, you know, trying to negotiate deals. 
yeah. So just my passion for that, just educating people. I love to meet new people. Michael and I love to host. I'm getting very excited for COVID to wind down because we just feel like we haven't been able to host people. We love to welcome people into our little circle and cook for them and, and have them over. And really, we've missed that very, very much. So we're excited to get back into that. And I'm, I mean, I'm blessed and I feel like the upper room as a whole is so blessed because we benefit from how your light shines at church on Sundays through your gifts and talents, you and Michael both. I just feel like everyone is gifted and anointed in different ways. And the anointing that you guys have for worship and to lead is so beautiful and it's powerful on a Sunday morning. And again, I'm just so glad that you came back because the body of Christ gets to benefit mm. from your gifts and talents and the anointing that you guys carry. I know that you shine everywhere you go, you know, Monday through Friday, wherever you're at, you do that. But thank you for doing it on a Sunday morning too. We're built up. I feel like sometimes Sunday mornings, we call it a celebration service for a reason. Like right. It's a celebration yeah. to say, this has been our week and we're going into a new week. But we share with each other in those moments to build ourselves going right. into a new week. And I feel like you guys do that so well with worship on Sunday. It's so life-giving and encouraging. So thank you for shining there. It's always our hope. Like I always say, I want... I want the worship that we do to be very congregational. I don't want it to be one-sided. That's what I love about Upper Room. Like, I can hear people singing so loudly, and I love that so much. Like, that that excites me. And there was something else I was thinking I was going to say. In my bio, when I put life plans changed, Michael and I never in a million years ever expected to move back here. We really didn't. We were getting tired of Nashville, the rat race. Constantly felt like we were spinning our wheels. We were actually supposed to move to North Carolina. That was the plan. We'd been there many times, and actually, we drove to North Carolina Labor Day weekend, 2016, and we invited my parents. My dad actually went and looked at a house with us. It was a Saturday. He went with us to look at the house and meet the realtor, and my dad was so practical. Like, my dad never took chances. Like, you know, you do a job for 40 years, you retire, right? Mm -hmm. And even he said, you guys are young. Do it now. Do it now while you can. You can always change your mind again later. And I was just like, wow, that's really powerful coming from him, like, that he said that, and he died the next day. And so we were just like, what the heck are we going to do? I can't do this. I kind of hated the place, you know, like I associated these horrible things, the worst day of my life. But it's funny because out of that came the biggest blessing. It makes me so happy to hear that we're a blessing to the church, but people need to realize how much a blessing the church has been to us because we move back and our quality of life here is beyond our wildest dreams. We have such a support system. My mom's here. Then my younger brother moved back. Like we have so many friends and family that I know anything happened at a drop of a hat we have support. We really just feel so loved and so welcomed. And never in a million years would we imagine our studio business would be as thriving as it is leaving Music City. We are busier here than we were ever in Nashville. Like we're booked out five months. But, and so I just see how God has orchestrated my whole life, you know, and just brought me back here. And it's funny because I think I had to get away to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to get away to see busyness of the city, the road rage, the vibe, you know, just like everybody's in a hurry all the time. Emerson never would have had the childhood that I had growing up. And not to say anything bad, there's a lot of people raising their kids in Nashville and love it, but it just, it just wasn't us anymore. And we would have been further from our family had we moved to North Carolina. And so 
it's so funny to see like this huge blessing coming out of something so tragic. Mm-hmm. And so I just, as a testament to you guys, just that we we feel like it's just as much of a blessing, if not more to us. I'm very grateful. Question four. Question four. Do you want the old four or the new four? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I'm prepared for the new four. Okay. Well, then give you me- You can the- try the new four, and then if it's bad, we'll go the old four. <laughs> <laughs> What's the new four? The new four, I was asking if there are any spiritual or supernatural experiences that you've had that you'd be interested in sharing. If not, the old four is some random information that you'd like to give us. I mean, it could be about charcoal. We can go back to him. Okay. I might do both, but I'll make it quick. Oh, do both. Okay. Supernatural. This is something where God, I was so frustrated about something. But then I looked back and go, oh my gosh, thank you, God, for doing what you do. So I was visiting Michael in Nashville. I was still in school. I was visiting him. I was trying to fly back. It was a Sunday. I had to be at YSU at like really early in the morning. It was the middle of winter. I had no heat in my car. I mean, it was just one of those things. So I was supposed to leave Nashville at like 6 p.m. It kept getting delayed, 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 delayed. I'm sitting at the airport. It's so late. I'm by myself. I finally get into Cleveland at like midnight. My car is parked outside. I have no heat. It's covered in ice, covered in snow. I'm by myself. I'm like 20 at the time, maybe 21. And I'm chiseling my car out of ice and snow. Took forever. It's an hour and 15 minute drive back from Cleveland. You know, my parents lived on Cherry Fork. So it's like a real windy, like kind of country road. People don't really go down it at one in the morning, right? But here it is, one in the morning, I can barely see. It's pitch dark. It's freezing, you guys. It must have been five degrees out. I have no heat. I mean, it's just, I'm just so ready to get home. And I'm just so mad that my flight was delayed because I should have been home three hours earlier. So I'm driving down the road. And all of a sudden, I like kind of squint and there was a, there's a cornfield. And I thought I saw lights. And I thought, well, that's weird. So I kept going. And then something in me was like, nope. There's something weird. So I back my car up. I get out of the car. I go into the cornfield and there's a car upside down on its roof, tires spinning, radio playing, and all the windows busted out. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I look at my phone. My phone's about to die. I mean, literally it's on red. I mean, it's just bad. And I call my mom and I said, mom, my phone's about to die. I need you to call 911. I found an accident. I'm right up the road. She goes, okay. And the phone dies. And all of a sudden I hear, sorry, this is going to get creepy for a second. No. I hear, help, help. And it's like pitch dark. And I look and I see like a bloody person coming towards me. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going on? So I get in my car because I'm out, but I, I didn't leave. And I rolled down my window and I was like, were you in that car? And he looks at me and he goes, are you Brian Coulter's sister? Then I was like, okay, I felt safe. Okay, you know who I am. Here was a young kid, got in a car accident. He had no coat on. He was in a t-shirt, five degrees. He was ejected from the car. The car was flipped in the middle of a cornfield, and he was just wandering. There was no houses around, no people around. The kid would have froze to death. He survived the accident, but he probably would have froze to death because he was so out of it. And I just was thinking, had my flight been on time, there is no telling what would have happened to that kid. And it still gives me goosebumps 15 years later. Like, I don't know what would have happened to that. I mean, he was young, maybe 17, 16. And so I found him. It was That's amazing. It was a wild story. So I just think now sometimes if things get delayed or I always go back to like, oh, maybe you're working, maybe you're doing something, maybe you're, I'm avoiding some sort of crazy tragedy or uh, you're going to orchestrate something here. But yeah, yeah, that's a wild story. And then I was thinking, I don't know if anybody cares, but I actually used to have crippling stage fright. Like I couldn't sing in front of people. <laughs> 
It was bad, like crippling stage fright. No one fright. would believe that. Yeah, I know now, right? <laughs> but yeah, when I was younger, I took classical piano lessons and every year we'd have to have a recital. I mean, I'd be I'd be sick to my stomach for a week. I hated it. I hated doing it. I would freeze up and I'm like, I know how to play the song, but I would freeze up in front of people or I would try to sing and I'd start and I'd have to swallow like mid-sentence because I'm like, mess it up, I'm gonna mess it up. I mean, it was bad. It was crippling <laughs> stage fright. And so I've had to overcome that in my life. And now I don't hardly get nervous at all, but uh, I had to definitely work through that. That's wild. Yeah. I didn't yes. know that. It was bad. Very bad. Look how much a little stick-to-itiveness <laughs> slash practice doing it anyways. I, I credit it with a friend in Nashville. He put a, together a little trio and he would have us play like three nights a week just everywhere. We did that for like two or three years. And I was, I mean, it was so hard at first because I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then you just keep doing it, keep doing mm-hmm. it. And you're just like, you know, if I just sing, it's going to sound good. Like I know how to sing. So I might as well just do it. So that's kind of kind of my mentality now. But we'll keep singing. I mean, I love that because people will look <laughs> at you now and say, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's never had that kind of issue. Oh, yes. She doesn't ever feel the way that I feel. And you're like, no, oh, yes. <laughs> had to overcome that very much so. But that it's over overcomable mm-hmm. it is well I mean, let's yeah. let's put a plug in for the upper room fellowship yes. ep all original music emily yeah. leads yeah i think emily sings two songs she wrote one if you're interested in buying the album it's on itunes and produced at court street recording all local members the church the worship team or if sings and writes the- and josh and if you're at the church you can buy mm-hmm. the album here well thanks so much for coming and spending your morning with us it's been great to get to know you more mm-hmm. and hear your story and your testimony and thanks for letting your light shine yeah. thanks for having me guys bye stay tuned <laughs> Make sure you come back next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.